Hey everyone, welcome to today's live stream. I have special guest Russ Waldell. Um, Russ, before we start, I want to make sure that you're not being held against here, here against your will. That there's no one, you know, holding you at gunpoint to be on this panel today. Um, I, I came voluntarily. I, I'm not sure if I, I don't know if I, if it was a good idea, but I did show up voluntarily. <laughs> All right. Well, let's hope you leave voluntarily as well. Uh, we got a, we got a show for you guys planned today. Uh, I'm Zach Scriven with 4.0 Solutions. We go live every week here at Tuesday News Central to make sure to subscribe and ring the bell. You could also listen to our content on uh, Apple, iTunes, podcasts, um, all the podcasting sites, Spotify. So, um, yeah, so Russ, uh, I want to get right into it. Uh, were you held at the Sesame panel against your will? No, I wasn't held at the Sesame. I wasn't. I haven't been held at a panel against my will this calendar year. Was it at least uh, a little bit uncomfortable? Because it was a little uncomfortable to watch. I actually link. I did a reaction video. I'll link that below. I don't know if you, anyone saw that, but they they seem to ask some really leading questions, particularly around the ones like, you know, there seems to be some overlapping work here or, um, you know, I saw you you commented on Matt Paris's OPC UA's vaporware post, which I want to bring that up in a second. But um, I mean, so the reality is uncomfortable, right? Like the, the panel wasn't more uncomfortable than reality. There are three <laughs> overlapping protocols for specifically semantic in, in, industry semantic or industry-specific semantic data models for machine tools. There's one in China called NC-Link. There's one in the United States called MT-Connect. And there are one or several, depending how you split out the OPC companion specs that are housed in Germany, but they're not really German-specific. So having three different ways that we that we do the, not, not the like ID or, um, you know, like metadata stuff, but the specifics of this is an axis, this is a, um, this is rotary versus linear motion. This is an interlock versus a door versus an enclosure, like all that stuff where you get people and, and you argue with each other in a room until you come up with a, a universal definition and then you submit that to ISO. There are three of those now and they don't perfectly play nice together. And that is awkward. So what's, what's the solution right now for someone trying to create an interoperable system? What's their path forward? Oh, so a lot of this is a fight that, only exists in the future for somebody who's architecting a system. So the the details in which you actually need to get into the meat of, you know, call it like more than 25 or 50 data items, you know, that's a limited number of use cases as compared to, I don't have any way to get data off the equipment. So you have like your straight up, I don't have a plug or I don't have a way to pull any data of any kind. That's a somewhat separate problem than I pull data and it's completely different from brand A versus brand B versus brand X, Y, or Z. So solving the second problem is a much more complicated solution, which, you know, it's the unified namespace concept, right? So it's the same thing. It's just if you have an industry standard that exists that defines some of these semantic definitions, you would use that to populate the unified namespace. But like if we've got it well covered in autoclaves and industrial 3d printers and machine tools that doesn't mean that we have the terminology for a paint booth or uh necessarily like a welder or something like that so you might need to integrate more than one of these industry domain vocabularies into one or more unified namespaces well i guess it's one unified namespace but into one or more namespaces okay now um i don't want to ask like what is mt connect because everyone can obviously just look that up on the website but why would someone not use MT Connect? Like why? Like I've used it I, when I was pulling data off of a CNC machine. It worked well, right? Uh, I used their Kepware, you know, Kepware driver at the time. This was like maybe five years ago. It worked well. It seemed to get me the information I needed much more than I needed actually. And uh, you know, I know it's kind of biased because you're the, you know, you created the, you, you know, you're the. What's your role at the MT Connect organization? Um, they call CEO? me the cat herder. No, I, I, so it's an industry, it's volunteers, right? So it's, it's system integrators and software developers and machine tool and equipment builders and the machine tool and equipment builders customers. And, you know, we've got roughly 400 corporate and individual members that all kind of just get together and say, Hey, we think that one of the obstacles to, you know, industry 4.0 and beyond is lack of uh, normalized vocabulary. So we are going to normalize the vocabulary 
my role is basically like the, the overhead administrator, making sure that those people have an avenue to meet and making sure that the, um, all the legal stuff is covered, making sure that there's a membership organize, organization, making sure that the basics of sort of outreach marketing and evangelism exist and more or less facilitating the engineering conversations about, you know, how are we actually going to deploy the tech? So what are OPC UA organizations complaints about the MT Connect organization? Uh, I see, I think that's, I think it's kind of specific because OPC foundation covers and then the OPC tech that, that is, you know, supported by the OPC foundation is super broad and it covers more or less every type of industrial equipment around the world. And from both empty connect Institute and OPC foundation's perspective, the OPC technology like UA isn't designed to model a specific narrow you know niche of equipment that's that's like mm. what the data is opc is more concerned with the framework of how do we pass data from place to place how do we make sure that we could pass data from place to place in multiple ways what's secure security reliability uptime it, it's you know there was there was an argument about well is empty connect a protocol is opc a protocol well opc has protocol sections enumerated in it, but OPC itself is not a protocol. UA, the like, unified architecture, is a good name for it. It's a, it's a framework of technology components and behaviors of technology components that you would want. And one of those components is, what's my domain model for whatever the asset that I'm describing is? And there might be like an overarching wrapper for assets. And then underneath that, you've got, you know, machine tool asset. And so that's, to me, like, I don't think anyone at OPC Foundation has any particular conflict with anybody around MT Connect Institute at this point, um, because this, there's so much space between what those two functions are. Now, where there's where there's frustration is in the universe of companion specifications. We've now got MT Connect for OPC and Machine Tool for OPC, and those two are like really close overlaps. What about what about um... Has anyone taken the MT Connect, uh, you know, and created a companion or CDS companion data specification for like the Factory Plus framework? I know they were talking about like the Sheffield organization and. Uh, so the Factory Plus is a little bit more narrow than UA, but it's also. Isn't that why it's more appealing? Applied more appealing. Unit. <laughs> well, I mean, like, I don't know. I don't know Factory <laughs> Plus enough to know if I can just say, oh, hey, give me the components of Factory Plus. And then that's going to be what I pick up and install in my place. I'm like, right. I've talked to to Ricky Coles, who's leading that effort a bunch of times. I've talked to um, Alex could be here, who I think is on the discord and, and he's one of the engineers working on it. You know, and like these guys are looking for how to get this project completed that, that shows a real world implementation of a set of tools. OPC is more like or OPC UA is more like what are all the tools that I could use and all the acceptable paths to go down? Think of it like, doesn't matter whether we use them or not. Well, I mean, that's it. Cause when I, you, if you, you guys, it, if you guys me. in the comments, if, if you guys said in the comments or anyone's watching live or after the fact, if you guys have watched that reaction video or, you know, you watched it live on the Sesame webinar, to me, it felt like it was you and Arlen sort of against the world, right? Like they had like, you know, the <laughs> different teams that were sort of like, Allegedly not. I mean, is there any commercial relationship between Sesame and OPC Foundation? Because it seems like they're obviously sort of leaning towards everyone joining the foundation and the foundation has the right solution. But that may but maybe that's just my opinion. Um, I don't think there's a commercial relationship other than um, mutual membership between Sesame and OPC Foundation or its representation in the United States or um, you know, membership of people that are on Sesame projects being also OPC foundation members. I, I think honestly, it's, you know, talking to the guys that are kind of like executive management around Sesame, it's, there's a lot of respect for this idea that you can get from broad concept industry 4.0 to specific industrial policy platform industry 4.0 down to a specific reference architecture model for industry 4.0 so like the rami 4.0 thing yeah. then you layer it even even deeper and now you're getting into actual instantiations of rami i mean that like that's it's it's a thing of beauty 
right? If, if the world works that way and everything stacks nicely, that is a very neat, orderly, you know, happy future that I don't <laughs> think reflects the current state of industry. Um, J uh, JS, uh, Jeffrey Schrader has a really good reference model for the uh, OPC stack um, in the Discord. Um, if you could just search from JS, it's, uh, it's pretty detailed. Um, <laughs> All right. So uh, next question. Um, does that, uh, <laughs> Michael Dallas. Can I, can I answer your last question about why somebody wouldn't use MT Connect? Because I have yeah, an yeah. answer to that. Yeah. So for, for most of my tenure, I started working on MT Connect in 2014. Uh, and for most of my tenure, the competitor to MT Connect was nothing. Um, meaning, like, people would just say, I don't know why I'd want data off a machine tool in the first place. Thank the Lord that we are not in that situation, you know, now, because mm -hmm. you know, essentially like this market developed for industrial asset data. And it just so happened that people who came before me had been working on that problem for half a decade already. And people who came before them have been working on it, you know, different ways. So like there's the vision that I think is now relatively uniform about what's a smart factory look like or what's a you know smart connected industrial system. You know, like that vision is not particularly contentious or uh, you know up for that much debate at this point. The details are um, right, but like the 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 big competitor was I'm not going to use MT Connect because I have no I have no use for that data or I have no use for a connected factory or. I barely use the data that I already have. Why would I want more? So those were kind of like the, the selling objections for a long time. And then the, where it is now is sort of like MT Connect is more than you would need. So that detailed information model, if you just want to get a status and you have two or three brands of equipment, like you've, you've standardized on FANUC and all the machines you've got have focus, you, you already have your API. It's FANUC focus. You don't, you don't need another layer on top of that. If almost all your machines have focus and all you want to know is what's what's running and what's not running where you need that detailed semantic model whether it comes from mt connect or it comes from the opc companion specs or it comes from something that you invent in-house where you need that tons of extra fidelity is when you have more complex applications or when the data is starting to be consumed further and further away from the equipment right so like mm. if you end up massive corporate customer you know like manufacturing models or well, yeah, partly. So like it's it's the machine learning, but it's the people that are building that and it's the people that just aren't, they aren't near the factory. So, you know, we're going to send production data and it's going to go from operator to production manager to plant manager to, you know, enterprise-wide multi-facility. And then it's going to go to a team of analysts that's 12 states away. And they have to somehow make sense of, you know, PLC registers like that. It doesn't make any sense because they, they can't hmm. reverse engineer back to this meant that the spindle was spinning and this meant the coolant was turned on. They need something that says coolant on not register, you know, X one twenty three. So that's, that's Got where the, the value of all the detailed information models come in. Okay. And that's, that's like still the objection is, Hey man, I'm just trying to figure out what's going on on my shop floor. What do I need all this extra stuff for? Mm, got it. Um, so Michael Daldell asked, why does, why does FANUC use MT, use MQT connect instead of focus? Uh, FANUC supports MT connect natively. If you want it, it's built on top of focus. So for years and years, FANUC didn't have their own MT connect components. They didn't have an MT connect server or anything like that. You just buy focus. Um, you could get an MT connect you know, basically an adapter and an agent package from a whole bunch of third parties. The requirement was always have focus because that's the official FANUC API. Um, eventually, this was probably three or four years ago now, uh, there was enough customer interest from the third parties that FANUC developed their own. And so now you can either have, you can have the MT Connect uh, from FANUC. I think they call it like, I think they literally call it MT Connect server. Uh, or you can says, just still oh, use he, a third. The party. question was, why don't they use MT Connect instead of Focus? Is oh, instead of Focus? No. Okay. So I mean, the answer is still similar. Focus already existed as the as the API, right? So that was already your pipe into a FANUC controller. Was the Focus API? But it only API. works in a FANUC, right? Like MT Connect can oh. work with other CMC machines. That's right. Yeah. So you have your API to to FANUC, and they're going to say things like, "We don't want you to have access to." 
I don't know, pick some really specific piece of data that's proprietary to the machine and critical to its run, uh, to its ability to run. They're not going to give you like details that would let you reverse engineer the FANUC controller. But if you want, you know, statuses, alarms, whatever else, they spit that out via focus and they don't care whether that then feeds to empty connect that feeds to a wider system or if that feeds to something proprietary to a wider system or if that feeds to OPC to a wider system or it feeds to a spark plug B um, mapping and that goes to a wider system. FANUC is like, we're giving it to you. It's focus. We have complete control over what focus looks like. And that way we're not responsible for explaining why MT Connect doesn't work when we already have focus is like, that's our way we do it. And once you leave focus land, you're in somebody else's land and you're gonna have to find support from them, not from us, with the exception of like, if you use the FANUC MT um, Connect server. Do you have a, do you have an MT uh, focus to MT Connect? Um, do you have that something that converts focus to MT Connect? Yeah, that's the that's the native. Well, so okay. so that's going to be either the native or third party adapters. Just look up FANUC MT Connect. The first result is MT Connect server from FANUC. Then there's a freeware um, project up on GitHub. Then you get oh, yeah. to like dozens and dozens Thanks, of JF. third parties. So would I use? Let's say I have a six-axis robot. Like Fanic makes those too, right? Yep. Right. Would I use MT Connect to, to get information off of that? Or how would I get information off of a, a, a robot arm? Uh, I mean, so the CNC land is healthier in terms of willingness to expose um, controller data than robots is. The closest direct analog to MT Connect that kind of gives you the detailed data definitions and everything is probably Ross Industrial. So between MT like Connect, Ro ROS or Robot Ross, ROS Ross. So it's 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 another it's another open source project protocol. Um, most popular with sort of like AGVs and um, kind of okay. mobile robotics, but they've got like a an industrial fork that is the um, specifically for industrial robots that covers your six and nine axis arms, some of your deltas and your scares and stuff like that. And is the reason behind that more so because they didn't want, they didn't think anyone would need it? Or is it because they wanted to keep it proprietary or sell, sell a module to get you access to that or, you know, sell services to get access to that? I mean, if I'm a machine builder, I don't want anybody except my customers to have access to anything on my machine. So that kind of colors the entire conversation is as a machine builder, on one hand, I'm, I want to get the best possible customer outcome, but on the other hand, I don't want to be supporting a competitor's equipment ever. So the entire, the entire decision that a robot builder or a machine builder makes about what do they support and why, comes down to how do we ensure the best possible customer outcome without directly supporting a customer's equipment, right? Like if I buy a Zach bot and I buy a bunch of Zach bots and you, you know, you can say, I'm never going to support Russ bot over my dead body. Will I give you any kind of access to a third party system? And you know, Russ bot, he's, he's over so here. Our, he's, so our bots can work together or, or in what? So, so the, like, of course that in reality, of course, Rustbot and Zackbot work together. Like this, there's an entire industry of system integrators and robotic authorized resellers. Like this is a this is a world of, of making them work together, but they don't work together straight out of the factory. They work together when you pay an integrator to go and do the integration, or when you buy like a cell controller that does this job. The idea of a, of sort of like a universal cell controller that abstracts away this one little piece of it where at least can we have the same definition for on, you know, stuff like that. Uh, right. That Cause piece, a common application would be, I have a 3d, I have a robot that loads parts into my CNC machine. Right. Yep. Like yep. that would be a simple integration. Well, it should be a simple integration, but exactly. And if I, and if I make robots and CNC machines and there's more than one company that does this, I'm not picking on any particular company that does this. I have something special to offer the customer. When I say you're buying a Rust CNC and a Rust robot, they integrate tightly and cleanly together and you're gonna get the best damn CNC robot loading 
uh, you know, machine tending operation you could possibly get because you went with you went with Russ. It's the same pitch that Apple makes about why a proprietary connector on their on their all their hardware is totally fine is because you're going to get this integrated experience. And it was the same thing with like the software side on the the iTunes store, which I mean, look how that worked out. Right. All right. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, would you mind for someone who's not familiar with like how a CNC works and what that stack looks like, would you kind of walk us through like the different components and what you would, you know, what you would kind of expect to get out of that. And, uh, cause yeah, I've seen uh, like different, like Fanuc can make different, <laughs> I could be a machine builder and use a Fanuc controller on my CNC, even though Fanuc didn't make the CNC. Is that like, is that correct? Like exactly a more, right. more, more I know made a machine that I integrated with and it had a Fanuc controller. Yep. Yeah. So the, I mean, the basic piece of information here, and I'm, I'll explain it as if you have like sort of some industrial equipment knowledge. Um, the, the basics are, to some extent, every machine tool is still something of a one-off, right? Because you have across a wide range of lines and a relatively small volume compared to something like cars. Um, you have You have things that are sort of like mid mid run changes you have customization for every customer and that customization can be individual components or it can be you know particular features or it could even be like they'll paint it a different color so with that as the context right is that that to some extent every machine tool is still a one-off you have you know like think about what's the lowest level sensing device that you might have so you'll have a whole bunch of discrete sensors on a machine tool for things like temperature, position, speeds, that kind of stuff, maybe vibration. And there's no particular reason, functionally speaking, that you could tap into individual sensors, pull the voltages off of those, and that's your signal. Now, those are probably abstracted up to a sensor controller, uh, or they're abstracted to the actual CNC, the computer controller, it's sort of like does all the, the systems management. Or they might be abstracted to a to a PLC for you know motion control tasks and management. So inside the machine, at a minimum, you've got raw sensor, you've got sensor controller or PLC, you've got the actual CNC, which has your HMI, your human machine interface, and all the buttons to actually control it. And and all of these pieces, there's nothing stopping you from pulling data off of any of those components of the machine. But in theory, like it's all software running these mechatronic systems. So you ought to be able to get it from the, the most abstracted layer, the, the CNC and mm -hmm. that, or furthermore, reason, it should, you shouldn't have to go to get it. It should just publish out to, yeah. you know, yep. are you seeing, yeah. are you seeing more CNC controllers doing that? Like, are they listening to what the community wants and sort of going more of like, Hey, we're going to model our information on the edge and we're going to publish it into a unified namespace rather than forcing people to go, you know, and, and pull it out. No, I don't see customers asking in those terms. I see customers asking for connectivity and trying to solve connectivity with, you know, either single protocol or single vendor solutions. So it's, it's things like, I know I want data off my shop floor. So, so we look, we're looking at MT connect to get it off the shop floor. And then the whole rest of that complexity that you just described, it's about information architecture and scalability. Uh, you know, there are the, the elite customers are asking for that. And there are some that have kind of been pushing for this for years and years now, but I think the average customer is still not to that level of sophistication where they're like, they certainly wouldn't walk like a typical customer isn't going to walk into their machine builder and be like, I need a good data model because I'm building a unified namespace and here are the protocols that I'll accept for you to, to give me. And, and does that make sense though? Know, like to you, does that, yes, it makes, yes, it makes absolutely perfect sense. Okay. It is a very, it is a very sure good and logical page. question. Well, so that's what, that's what I was thinking about. So manufacturers are relying there. on us to lead, lead the industry in the right direction. I mean, it's a team sport, right? Like you have to have pressure from the customer because if you don't have pressure from the customer, there's no real reason to increase the features, but the, the builders need to also like showcase the best thing that they have. Same thing on, you know, whether it's the equipment builder or the machine builder or 
even like a machine distributor who's responsible for maintenance, like say they're responsible for the, the ongoing upkeep of the machine. Well, now they have a very specific incentive to be able to do like traceability mm -hmm. of what the heck happened on this machine because they're getting or phone even calls reliability saying, as a reliability as a service model or, you know, yep. Yeah, exactly. So anytime somebody can, can innovate the business model that gives them an incentive as sort of like a new customer of the data. And I don't know, in my opinion, like it's still kind of like the end user needs to, needs to be able to, ask questions in a way that, that sort of like applies good pressure on what like the level of sophistication they're looking for out of the equipment. Cause the, the last thing that the guys selling the machines want to do is, is kind of like talk over their customer's head. Cause the like customers are suspicious of bold claims. Like if we say, Oh, it's going to digital twin to increase your th throughput and maximize efficiency. It's like, okay, but am I going to get a steak dinner if I buy your machine? <laughs> don't tell don't don't tell anybody i said that that this is, I, this is i would not right? believe that that happens in the industry <laughs> not not for one second yeah i so, don't know um, I, like it's pretty exciting at the at the tippy top like the, the the people that get it and like this is definitely true on the discord the industry 4.0 discord like that that is a close sort of grouping of people for whom all the stuff that you just said well shouldn't it be like that like those people are all there already talking this way. So like if you if you're a builder and you want to up your game, just get on the Discord, go talk to the right people on LinkedIn, go visit the factories that are doing it right. And it's not this stuff is not rocket science and there's sort of like established best practices. They're emergent, but they're still best practices. I want to um yeah. I I I did not pay you to say that. So um don't expect yeah, to but check. I, also, I, also, I also didn't pay to be on the discord or on this show so it's sort of that's a good point yeah but have you it. gotten value have you gotten value out of it yeah well so like i was saying before we started i came on really really early to the discord i i've been on like I, I wasn't a gamer but i was on discord because the uh the kids on the high school robotics team that i mentored all used it and that was like my only way of knowing that the meeting was canceled that day so i was on discord with them and then shortly after that you guys spun off the discord and i'm like all right i'll try this it's very easy and like it was just it was one more thing to keep up with and i didn't bother but that was you know two years ago then some member of the discord who was pretty active was like hey man you got you got to get on this because like all the people are there talking about the right stuff and i was like all right fine i'll get back on and now it's you know yes it's one more thing to check that i am happy to check and i'm enthusiastic to have good conversations about so yeah it's i got a lot of value out of it Awesome. Um, hold on one second. So to your point about, um, you know, how, how manufacturers can sort of lead their vendors to, um, develop the solutions that they're looking for. We talk about our minimum technical requirements all the time. You know, we have our basic ones or basic core four report by exception, edge driven, open architecture and lightweight, right? So disqualifies some of the, some of the ones uh, some of the right off the bat that disqualifies like OPC, you know, it's too heavy weight, um, things like that. But, um, the other thing that we, we instruct, you know, we typically do this when we're, when we're working with a client, we, we, we expound upon, you know, those are our starting point, but we, we sort of work with a client to help them define more detailed technical requirements. And also questions we ask ourselves, you know, questions we ask potential vendors prior to purchasing any new smart thing in our infrastructure. Uh, number one, and you guys can write this down. Um, number one, what data will this generate? Two, how is the data formatted and organized? Uh, number three, how will the data generated be accessible by external consumers? And number four, does this smart thing support enter IIoT protocol and use IIoT standard? So, you know, that's a good starting point. Um, you know, just... Like you said, you can, if you ask these questions, that's going to lead the vendor to be like, oh, well, you know, we sort of don't act, either we do access it and that you got to buy this module or no, but, you know, we can implement, you know, we could real easily implement MQTT as an example into our software stack to support publishing. I haven't met a vendor um, or, you know, actually, there might be a few exceptions, but most vendors are really happy to do that, especially because it's so easy to implement, you know, and um mike kernow said 
What if I consume data in wing dings? <laughs> He's strolling. All right. Um, Michael Daldell said, uh, end users are generally not sophisticated. This causes a problem with influence on developers, right? There's sort of a, you, you could easily become corrupt. <laughs> um, you know, there's an incentive for some, you know, machine builders to, you know, sort of lock that in. And um, happened with Tellit. He said, why are you asking for XXX? Ford is not asking for it or XXX or YYY. Large user is not asking for it. It doesn't matter, right? That's, no. that's a that's an interesting one, right? Like for for and I'll I'll use all of automotive. I'm not talking about Ford specifically here, but across all of automotive, think so. And again, like I can only talk to the kind of narrow sliver that MT Connect is solving. But the cost of oh, I have multiple brands and don't have any interoperability for them. When you're talking about installing a new like assembly line or an engine line or a crankshaft line or something that's, that, that's got both the expense and the part volume and the sophistication and the size of that, that contract, it, like it's a trivial line item to say, oh, I'm going to have to pay for a proprietary, you know, protocol across these things. It's assumed that that will be solved by whoever's supplying the line. And it's only when you get to like tier two, tier three, and you've got the, the never ending squeeze from the OEM saying, squeeze out all the waste, squeeze out all the waste, squeeze out all the waste. That's the place where it becomes apparent that, oh man, like we just keep paying a hundred thousand bucks a shot for this integration. And it takes the same amount of effort every single solitary time we do it. And we're not getting any faster at it and we're not doing it particularly profitably. And if we do it once towards a standard, then we never have to do it again. And that's, that's just like lost in, in the details because it's, it's not a big enough pain point in, in automotive OEM land. It's not a big enough pain point to be like front of mind for, for solving it. Now, like every single other discrete manufacturing application, including medical aerospace and the whole nine, like everybody else sees that little bit of hundred thousand dollars of waste as a huge problem that they want resolved. So I, automotive is weird volume and volume and size of projects make it a unique snowflake among all the unique snowflakes. Okay. Interesting. Um, what do you think about injection molding? Like, you know, going away from, you know, more, more parts welded together and like, like I think, you know, it was like Tesla who had their rear rear body had like a, a line you know to put together the rear body had like 70 parts and like a 300 300 robot line down to like a one or a two piece single giga casting right just yeah like from, the, from the giga press yeah the giga press um are you seeing are you seeing more customers like re-engineer their manufacturing process to like delete parts delete processes to make the overall um you know, from a holistic perspective of manufacturing, making it more efficient, are you still seeing like siloed approaches? This is my line and, you know, I, I want to optimize and cut cost here, but I increase cost down the line or decrease quality. Are you seeing, what are you seeing with like the customers you're working with? I, from my perspective, manufa <clears throat> manufacturing, and this goes like slightly beyond uh, manufacturing into really like adjacent industrial spaces too it's it's pretty segmented or stratified so you have kind of have the people there that get it and are doing it right and are following you know old school best practices while also applying new technology and that kind of top tier and like first principles approach yeah they're profitable they don't have that much trouble attracting talent um you know they're they're, they're kind of doing all the things you need to do as a company and being good at manufacturing at the same time but you know, it's, it's a small section of, of the industry in terms of company counts. And then you compare that to this, you know, big fat middle of mostly slow moving, mostly kind of legacy enterprises, and then a very, very, very long tail of sort of like legacy companies that are likely to go out of business within a generation or two. So, I mean, yeah, I see everything you're talking about in terms of reduction of part count and application of maybe not necessarily new technologies, but approaches that were not feasible in the recent memory being tackled for kind of like 
it's not even it's not even a novel application it's just a, it's a reimagining of what's possible based on kind of like many years of incremental improvements plus better process visibility plus like just basically a new crop of engineers so i, I do think that the the small number of companies that are kind of really excelling at that stuff will have a, a significant and outsized impact on kind of like what the next 10 or 20 years of manufacturing looks like because everybody's going to want to follow oh tesla did the gigapress what like how do we how do we gigapress right and like even if it doesn't apply to other companies because they're not tesla that's still opening the question like oh how do, how do we gigapress so mm -hmm. <laughs> i like i like the halo use cases like that because i think they have a positive impact on the entire industry okay um yeah uh what's what's burning for you right now like what's a hot hot issue that you're working on or thinking about at late at night we have two super nerdy application spaces or, or use cases we're trying to get into the first one is uh kinematic data so so like the actual motion of a machine so think of your geometric model is what's the shape and size of the parts how do they fit together Kinematics is the same thing, but for, for moving parts. So easy example is like a six axis robotic arm. Think of your, you know, CNC part loading use case. It's kind of like, how do the joints articulate? How do they interact with the physical space around the, the machine? And then how do we, how do we use that information for things like, uh, you know, look ahead, crash prevention, you know, path planning and optimization, all these sort of like very, you know, esoteric motion control type of tasks that are now individually done each vendor every time. Because the, the idea that you would have sort of any kind of publicly or even just customer available kinematic data that you would supply, you know, that stuff's been kept close to chest. And we have now by basically a combination of reverse engineering and buying some equipment that was more kind of like low end open sourcey sort of stuff. We now are like, well, Hey, what if we, what if we took that kinematic data and instead of being brand specific, we could express that off of any machine that's running an MT connect agent. What would that look like? And would anybody care? And yeah, what would they do with a that lot information? Of, yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you're, you're literally asking what they would do with it. Like you well, or why what you said, yeah, you said, oh, they're also asking for that feature, right? So what's behind it's, that? So it's, it's basically, it's getting you to more realistic and timely simulation of any, uh, like machining or manufacturing process, which means that you can do things in verification before crashing the machine. I don't, I really, I'm really desperately trying to avoid the DT word. Like, I don't, I don't want to say it. Don't, don't make down, me say down, digital down twin. Downtime or? No, digital twin. I, I'm oh. trying so hard not to say digital twin. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't really like that word too much. Um, I, like, so I they can do I simulated models, thing. basically. They can do models. Yeah, they can right. model it. Yeah, exactly. And I can and you can do you can do real life, but you can do it in dramatically more detail without risking a metal crash and you instead just crash to crash your bits and everything's fine. This is like this yeah, is like dumb the, stuff. The, meta, the metaverse. How did you find the one thing that I wanted to talk about less than digital twin? Good work. <laughs> <laughs> Industry 5.0. As uh, long hey, as it's connected directly to Meta. Yeah, I want to see how we can get some NFTs or something in our space. Like we we got to have a little bit more fun with with this, you know. I like, have an uh, NFT idea. Idea. It's right, really it. stupid. It's really, really stupid. So I want, I had a trade show. I want to turn over a web interface to a CNC machine with a big block of aluminum and a nice tough high-speed steel tool in it. And use, using the web interface, basically put the machine in manual mode and give people a turn, you know, 30 seconds or a minute at a time to go through and do whatever they want to do with the machine, right? Like on a, webcam. on a virtual piece of aluminum. So they'll, no, no, this will be, this will be, they will be looking at their computer. The computer is connected to the actual physical machine with actual physical block of aluminum. And when they press the keys on their keyboard to, you know, move the X or Y axis, whatever direction, they're actually, you know, driving 
the uh, the path of the tool on this machine. Now, because it's going to be crowdsourced, right? Like the outcome of this is going to not be, it's not going to be pretty. It's going to be a nonsense part. But we will then, here's, here's where it gets into NFT. We will then take the, the generated, like reverse engineered G code of that crowdsourced program. And that part program will be the NFT oh, okay. that we auction off, possibly with the video stream of what happened as well. That's my NFT ID that so far, you know, surprisingly little traction for this, this concept. <laughs> Yeah, I, I could I could see that working, with, but without with, you know, just without using the physical. I mean, I guess having it tied to a physical piece of aluminum is pretty cool and or, you know, a physical, you know, it's like the digital version of that. Um, yeah. So for those of you guys that don't know what NFTs are, they're non fungible tokens. And, you know, we talked about blockchain and how that integrates with supply chain in last week's uh, episode. But um, NFTs think of it as um well, there's fungibility, right? Non-fungible tokens. Fungible tokens means I have a Bitcoin, you have a Bitcoin. We can swap those Bitcoins and we don't care. They're, they're exchangeable. Non-fungible tokens are unique and they're, they really have a use case for like uh, digital art or digital, um, digital assets, right? Uh, and what's I listened to this uh, Metaverse conversation with Gary Vee and, and Mark Zuckerberg uh, recently. And what they're saying is, you know, um, the metaverse has the ability to leverage NFTs in a more, it's, it's almost like they're trying to create a unified namespace, but for like consumers, right? So like, imagine if, um, I, I bought the, the example that Gary Vaynerchuk uses, he had a jets, uh, jacket on, right. And he's like, all right, imagine the utility of, if I bought this virtual jets jacket that I could only wear in this one application, or I could only wear it while, while at the, the jets or, um, the Knicks, right? The basketball. I can only wear this virtual Knicks jersey in NBA 2K17 or, or 2K21, or I can only wear it in this one version, right? That would have a limited use case. And that's kind of where NFTs are right now. Like you can only, you, I mean, it provides digital ownership, but imagine like, uh, or you know, Fortnite, right? I buy skins in Fortnite, but I can only use them in Fortnite. Imagine a world where everything is connected into a unified metaverse and sellers and sellers can sell digital assets that you can not only use in my application, but you can walk around with it. You can go into other applications and use that same unique, you know, NFT item. I, I suppose we're probably getting way off topic here. But, <laughs> um, yeah, like a, uh, like a reverse engineered G code. <laughs> All right, Michael Kernow said for Russ, how are you typing? How are you? Uh, how are you tying the digital asset to the physical asset? Just curious because it seems like to to be a topic of many arguments I see online where the internet luddites argue against NFTs. Okay, so first of all, I actually basically don't understand NFTs. So let me go ahead and answer that question from the perspective of barely understanding what I'm talking about. Um, honestly, I was stalling to reread the question. Man, I don't know. How, how do you tie the, the digital to the physical in that case, right? Like, so the physical asset is this chopped up ugly hunk of aluminum that we crowdsourced the, the, the part program. That's the physical asset. The digital asset is the part program that we basically like recorded everybody's keystrokes of what they, what they punched in to give us this hideous misshapen part. So then what you like, embed some identity thing between the two of them or you just give the give the physical you know a part program number that's etched on the top of it and then that's you know that corresponds with the like the uuid of the of the part program and then we're done right like i feel like that kind of covers it now you have your ugly ugly chunk of metal your hideous crowdsourced g code and you're the you're the proud owner take it to take it to the bank so i want to share um Chrome tag. So CryptoPunks is a pretty, pretty popular NFT project. And it's kind of proof that ugly things can still be worth a lot of money if you have a like a almost a cult like following. Behind it. Um, CryptoPunks are 10,000 10, uniquely generated characters. Each one of these has like unique features like, all right, so this guy's smoking right here. 
if if I bought this NFT, it would say like, oh, you know, this feature is one out of a thousand, or you know, it's probably not even that common. One out of fifty, you know, have this feature, right? Or gold earrings. One out of ten people have that gold earring. So the uniqueness of these different features create sort of a scarcity and demand. Like these glasses are pretty cool, right? This guy over here on the on the right, you know, maybe that's a one of one. Oh no, it's not because look, she has the same glasses. But in essence, all of these different characteristics that were generated automatically, like an artist did not go through and uh, make all 10,000. They created the parameters and framework and then they were automatically generated. But essentially, um, you know, the arguments again, the Luddites would say like, all right, uh, you know, I, 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 let's say I own the NFT for Mona Lisa, right? And I go and I go to see the actual physical Mona Lisa, right? And I just take a picture of it. All right, now I own the Mona Lisa, right? The, you know, the difference, you know, what, what Gary Vaynerchuk would say to the person is like, all right, here's, here's what you just said. Go up, go up to a big ass mansion, take a picture in front of it, a selfie, and then post it on Instagram and say, my house. That's essentially what that person says. Like if I take a screenshot of an, of an NFT, then I own it. No, you don't, right? Because when you own the NFT, you have the ability to go on the blockchain, click sell, and make actual money from it. So you, yeah, you literally, oh, yes. Without so, the registration, um, it's not the it's not the image itself. It's the image plus the uniqueness plus the registration. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, like how could we apply this to manufacturing? I think you're onto something. You know, wow, look at that. I mean, uh, it doesn't sound like something good, but I might be onto something. The lowest, yeah, the lowest price available so to get in to, to be part of the ten thousand nft owners of CryptoPunks, you, you're a minimum looking at 400k you know or 88 ethereum to to get the lowest price one the highest price ones look 7.5 mil 7.7 <laughs> you know 7.57 mil right you know so, so is there, this is gotta one be the, a derivative there's got to be a derivatives market for this right where we're like splitting up the like there's there's now a complex financial asset that's that's basically dividing pieces of the nft there there probably is um richard I, just came in and said did i come at the wrong time <laughs> to connect blockchain like no my no man you came at the exact right time tulips <laughs> yeah that would actually be really yes, funny that. a tulip tulip nft project once you see that it's <laughs> it's time to sell um, yeah, no, I, I do, I do, uh, I do own a small amount of crypto, mostly Bitcoin. Um, you know, I think that my personal belief is that Bitcoin is sort of like, um, the thing that holds everything together. It's sort of the foundation. If Bitcoin go, were to go to zero, then essentially that means any, any crypto be, that came after that has the probability of going to zero. Uh, so it's sort of like in Bitcoin, we trust, you know, like Bitcoin's been the number one crypto and it has still always been it sort of reduced its lead position, right? Other coins have grown faster, like Solana and Cardano and um, Dogecoin and Shiba Inu. So, but Bitcoin has always still been the number one coin. So it's sort of um, sort of like the foundation that keeps everything from going to shit in my opinion, but uh, you know, I could be wrong. So, um, but yeah, NFTs, someone compared NFTs to, and you know, I don't know if you remember in 2017, there was a lot of initial coin offerings or ICOs mm -hmm. and um, somewhat in, in like from Q1 2017 to Q4 2017, it went up ICO raise amounts like went up a hundred X. So some, some people are comparing like NFTs are kind of the new I, ICO type. Um, you know, it's the new, the new uh, frothy on the block. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the block. but it sort of is cool that you get, you know, I guess it's sort of the same thing in, in, in ICOs, you got ownership to be able to vote and create new features for that coin. And now you get to be able to join a discord chat and join a community. Um, I don't know. It's, it's actually pretty interesting though. Cause these are real, real awesome first world problems to have. <laughs> I think people in all the worlds want money. I think that's a, um, yeah. Somebody asked about digital twin speaking of virtual, virtual value. They're like, what's wrong with digital mm -hmm. twin as a term? And they're, they're trying no, to they're talking about how they were going to stage an intervention to stop using digital twin. My only complaint, Zach, I don't know, man, this feels like it's going to strike close to your heart as well. 
pick pick an application as opposed to a vaguely defined technology. So if what you need is a simulation for maintenance, or if what you need is a uh, like a like a, a work history or a record, I think being specific and yeah, maybe it's arguing semantics, but being specific about what we're trying to accomplish in a specific application or in a specific project, you know, you could say digital twin at the beginning, but then as fast as you can possibly go, get to what are we accomplishing here? Because talking digital twin leaves a lot of room for sort of, I would say, speculation and sort of generic concepts as opposed to very specific concepts of this is the business problem that we need to solve. This is the I, thing that will fix it. I think that's the future, honestly. Digital twins? Digital manufacturing lines creating digital yeah. assets in a virtual metaverse. I mean, I don't see why. I mean, that's essentially an extension of what we're talking about here, right? Yeah. <laughs> Start selling. Yes. Well, so that, that we like way like Imagine if you had an actual virtual manufacturing line and you literally, you hired operators and literally you, you, ha you had them put on goggles and you literally employed people and they were manufacturing some digital asset, some digital product. I mean, maybe it's like virtual Teslas that are unique and, you know. Oh, that's a whole layer I hadn't thought about. I was thinking they were going to be digitally ma manufacturing actual Teslas. But now, now you're really getting me into a dark place in my mind. <laughs> you know what the other piece, this, you, you were asking what was keeping me up at night. The other one was capabilities. So this is to get to a self-describing machine, which means that like you, you, ping, you ping your machine tool, or you ping your industrial asset, or you ping your gigapress, and it says... Hi, I'm Gigapress. I'm I'm capable of so and so many tons of pressure. I have a work envelope of this and that. I have access to dies, you know, one through n, et cetera, et cetera. And basically, like the machine is just able to spit out that information, and and that's all kind of under this conceptual bundle of you know machine capabilities or asset capabilities. So the other thing keeping me up at night is how do we get to that self-describing machine? And what do we actually have to build in to, you know, what what does that mean when you work from, I want self-describing machine, let me work backwards to specific data tags that haven't been normalized and standardized yet. And that that is a thing that I've had on my mind for many years. And it's just like keeps seeming so close that that's like, I get more excited and also anxious that like, maybe I'm maybe I'm overexcited about a thing that's actually further off than it seems like. And like just out of grasp is more stressful than, than never going to get it. So yeah, capabilities. I, I think that would be pretty useful for sure. That'd be useful because then, uh, then the next thing would be like a machine asks another machine that information, right? And they start right. talking. Yeah. And um, then pretty soon Skynet into self-aware. I want to, I want to talk about, your comment. Oh, so oh, this Lord. is Matthew Paris's uh, article. It's a really good article. I'll, I'll drop a link below um, so you guys can read it after. Uh, we got to we got to wrap it up here in a couple minutes here. But um, describe. You know, why don't you paraphrase your comment here for us on uh, on this? Because I feel like you know you, you wrote a whole paragraph here, so or multiple paragraphs. What what is it that you're trying to get across here? Two two key points. First of all. The, I'm, I'm a pessimist when it comes to universal plug and play for machine tools where everything plugs into everything else. I, 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 like I, I know machine tools best, but it's probably the same thing for other industrial assets. I see modularity. Because there's too many, many one-offs or? There's, there's a lot of one-offs. Um, there's not really a stomach to normalize across the board on one standard, much less one approach. So from my perspective, it's going to be you know, these building blocks. So like, I, I don't have any reason to argue, oh, don't do a unified namespace. You need MT connect instead, because that doesn't make any sense. Just take, take the MT connect model. If it's already deployed on an asset and roll that into your unified namespace. Don't, don't abandon the concept of unified namespace for the sake of, of MT connect. And similarly, don't abandon MT connect and say, well, MT connect's not a unified namespace. So, so I'm never going to use MT connect. These, these two things, seamlessly work together right. and they will also have to play nicely with you know 
even higher levels of abstraction in the system, right? So like, let's get out of out of product manufacturing. And now we're talking about sort of like sales and e-commerce and product management. Like there's no reason that you can't take that, that chain of information that we had between how it got built on the floor up to how the entire manufacturing enterprise manages the thing. There's no reason that that can't extend into how do we sell it or how do we maintain it in the future? And so to get to that level of, you know, tight integration, I don't care how good or how big or how universal OPC or any other spec in the world is, it's never going to be big enough to capture that entire universe. So modularity and portability is, is critically important to that end. Like what that means functionally for MT Connect, this is kind of like the bottom piece of this post is functionally, that means that MT Connect is going to support OPC. And the way it does that is we've made it so that we're automatically generating the OPC companion spec, right? So we did it once. And every time we rev MT Connect, one of the things that will come with the revision to MT Connect will be we spit out a new OPC companion spec. We'll spit out, you know, an XML schema. We'll spit out a JSON schema. Like all these artifacts are part of revving our spec and revving the information model that we care about. And if if something or multiple somethings come out that's that are, you know, catching on and gaining traction as you know, key connectors in this gigantic ecosystem I was just talking about, we'll, we'll support those too, because the entire approach is we want to support, you know, the, the architectures that customers are building that are based on, you know, where industrial data ecosystems are actually going. And there's no reason for us to be sort of like a zealot about MT Connect support because we're not the only fish in the pond, let alone the giant sea that I'm talking about. So like be modular and, and actually support what people are using is more important than, you know, waving the flag and waving the banner. Yeah. I like, I like that you have that mindset, you know, it's not whether or not it's almost like how Elon Musk doesn't care if Tesla is the largest seller of EVs. He just wants EVs to be the new standard. And, and I sort of, that kind of came through on the the panel was like, you're like, Hey, I'm not saying everyone needs to use MT connect. I'm one, you know, I'm one part of the puzzle, but there's a much bigger picture here and not everyone seems to share that same mindset. So, or, or even going as far as it, being able to admit one's own flaws, right? Like, you know, here's why you wouldn't use MT or here's, here's what we're working on. Here's, here's why you may not want to use us or, you know, um, but, and, and also your, your focus on one, one aspect of machine, uh, you know, you, so you sort of go narrow and deep there rather than trying to be everything to everyone. That's right. Um, impression of VDMA would be nice, but <laughs> what was your impression of VDMA? I mean, so I work for AMT, which is the U S machine tool builders association. Essentially it's the association for manufacturing technology. VDMA is, um, a, like a umbrella organization that includes our sister association in Germany. So basically Germany's machine tool builder association. My impression of what VDMA is doing is, and I, we, we kind of covered this early on. Like if you believe that, that like you can organize everything nice and tidy, right? So you you go from your platform. So, so big concept of industry 4.0 platform industry 4.0 is your industrial policy reference architectural model for industry 4.0. Uh, OPC as a tool for the reference uh, reference architecture, companion specifications as the information models that go into that reference architecture in OPC. Like all that stuff stacks really, really tidily. And that's the universe inside which VDMA is operating and the, the, uni the universe inside which they are like that. They're making that universe happen to the best of their ability. They are all the way bought into that universe conceptually. I think that's why you saw Zach on the Sesame panel. That was the interest that Sesame has in what VDMA is up to. It's like, yeah, this is great. This would be awesome mm -hmm. if we get this, you know, bottom to top and top to bottom integration across kind of like not just the manufacturing enterprise, but the entire manufacturing industry. Um, so I, my impression is there's nothing particularly wrong headed about that. I just, I see customers who are trying to deploy industry 4.0 type of solutions and it's not beneficial to them in any immediate or even all that particularly you know near future term to have a theoretical conceptual you know integrated model that's not useful what's what's the product coming out of it what what do i deploy today tomorrow next week 
the part that's really useful about having this like vision for the future with an architecture and the protocol to support and everything else is those conversations drive the direction of the entire industry. So if the entire industry is talking about, you know, monolithic, the whole universe must support OPC or MQTT or whatever it is, if that's the direction that the whole world and the whole industry is going, and that's what that conversation looks like on the high level, then, you know, get on board with that because that's what the future of manufacturing is going to look like. Right now, the whole world is not on board with that vision, you know, by country or by customer. I have a hard time talking to like a specific machine shop owner or employee who's like, yes, I deeply care about a tightly coupled and integrated conceptual model for all of my digital data. They're like, I'm waiting on, I'm waiting on material and tools. How are you going to fix that for me? (laughs) Well, Russ, thanks. Thanks for coming on. We're out of time here. Um, Guys, make sure to to uh, like and subscribe this video. Join our Industry 4.0 Community Discord. Uh, we answer. We actually have people looking through the through their uh, asking. You know, ask your questions there. They will get answered either by someone from the community or by uh, someone at 4.0 Solutions. We can escalate all that all the way up to Walker Reynolds. Walker will be back on the live Q and A next week, uh, so that's that's exciting. Um, and uh, stay tuned for Manufacturing Widget NFT drop. Thanks so much, Zach. Appreciate your time. See you guys. Bye. Take care, man.